Well, amen. Thank you so very much for that wonderful music this morning, patriotic music, and pray that God will use that in a marvelous way in each of our hearts today. The title of the message this morning is We the People. We the People. Those are familiar words to most of us. They're even more familiar on this Fourth of July weekend because we the people are the th first three words in the preamble to the Constitution. The preamble marks the preliminary. It marks the beginning. It gives an overview, not the details, but an overview. In fact, some of my study indicated there had never been a case adjudicated on the preamble. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not a lawyer. But it sets forth the preliminary, the boundaries, the philosophy, with, if you will, the structure. You see, we have a representative democracy in America. We're not a monarchy. We do not have an earthly king or an earthly queen. We're not a totalitarian state. We do not have a dictator. We have a democracy, and we have a democracy which by its very definition means that we are involved. We the people, that was revolutionary in that day and time. At that time, there was somebody who always told the citizens what they were to do, think, and act. This is dramatic change. Do you realize we're a part of a huge, huge experiment in freedom? And the jury's still out as to how we will do in passing the test. Make no bones about it. The American dream was put in the forefathers of our nation by God himself. There's no doubt about that. Let me read to you just some comments. Now, this is not what the Bible says. This is not what some preacher says. This is secular history. This is what has been written down that people, our forefathers in this nation, said and thought what they felt as this nation was birthed. Listen to me. As I tell you their words, not my words, their words. In 1620, the Mayflower Compact, that was a little agreement that was forged on the fantail of a little ship. 1620, it begins in the name of God, amen. That's not the ending. <laughs> That's the beginning in the name of God, amen. And within the Mayflower Compact, the express purpose of coming to this continent was for this, and I quote, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. How about that? 1620. The Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their creator 
with certain unalienable rights. Newsflash. The founders of this nation believed in a creator. Newsflash. Your rights do not come from government. They come from God himself. Samuel Adams, one of the founding fathers, said, and I quote, the rights of the colonists as Christians are best understood by reading and studying the New Testament, unquote. John Adams, second president, says, and I quote, our constitution is designed for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for any other, unquote. What Adams is saying is when you and I make the laws, if there's not a moral equivalency in the laws, if there's not a Christian slant within the laws, then the laws are going to be cockeyed. That's North Louisiana talk for slanted in the wrong direction. Guess where we are today? Some of the laws that we just go, what? You see, when you depart from common sense and God-led decency, you come up with some of the stuff that we're dealing with today. James Madison, U.S. Secretary of State and the fourth president, we stake, I quote, we have staked the whole future of the American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future on the capacity of each of us to govern ourselves and sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God, unquote. This is not a Baptist preacher. This is a politician. This is one of the founding fathers of this republic. Daniel Webster, another U.S. Secretary of State, let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers hither brought hither the high veneration of the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light, labored in its hope, sought to incorporate and infuse its influence in all institutions, civil, political, and literary. Literary. It means the arts. Daniel Webster just rolled over in his grave. Andrew Jackson, old Hickory, the seventh president, said the Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. William O. Douglas, <laughs> longest serving justice of the Supreme Court, who on Time Magazine called a libertarian, said, and I quote, we are religious people and our institutions presuppose a supreme being. The Star Spangled Banner, our national anthem, the fourth verse that sometimes we don't sing, we do here. But the fourth verse says, and I quote, praise the power that has made us and preserved us a nation, then conquer we must when our cause it is just, and this is our motto, in God is our trust, unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, I say all that to say this to you. It is a matter of history that this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Now, there are people trying to expunge that and change that, but that's history. That's not the Bible. That's history. And if you find history books that somebody hadn't tinkered with, you'll find out it's in them. We the people. But along the way, something has happened. Well, here you go, preacher. 
Now you're going to talk about sin. Yes, I am. Because it's a fact of history. Sin has entered into the world. That was in the garden. And I'm not minimizing what happened in the garden because it's just the forerunner of what's happening to us. But if we're not careful, if I'm not careful as a preacher, we paint sin, sin, and we talk about sin as sin, and we don't make it personal. I fear a lot of preachers today are afraid to preach the truth. I'm an interim. I can preach anything God puts on my heart because I don't have to come back next week. <laughs> Great freedom as an interim. What I'm going to tell you is my opinion, but I'm your interim pastor, and I'm obligated to tell you what I think, what I've studied, and what I feel, and what I've been led by the Holy Spirit to say. What is the sin in America today? Say, Brother Owens, we don't have all day to hear you talk about all this. No, 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 no. What is the sin? Pride. You thought I was going to say abortion, drunkenness, lasciviousness. Oh, yeah, those are bad. But those are manifestations of the central problem. If you go back to the garden, what was the garden? What, what happened there? Disobedience, yes. But man and woman said, we don't have to listen to God. We can think for ourselves. That looks good, I'm going to eat it. I can do what I want to. That's pride. And I believe today the problem in America... The problem in your life and in my life, the problem in our churches, the problem in the Southern Baptist Convention is pride. We know more than God knows. And because we know more than God knows, we don't have to check in with God. We just make our plans and move ahead. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causes shame. Sin is a reproach. The word reproach means a disgrace. And the sin, I believe, that is paramount today that we're wrestling with is the sin of pride. Why do I say that? Well, the Bible speaks to it in several places. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Listen to what the Word of God says. These six things doth the Lord God hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And first on the list is a proud look. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and 
arrogance. Their evil is described as pride and arrogance because it's a sin of the heart that affects the mind that therefore affects how we act in our body. 1 John chapter 2, verse, 12, uh, verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all this is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 3. And the reason I'm giving you several verses is this is not an isolated case, in my opinion. It's throughout the Bible. Proverbs 14 and verse 3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Pride. I believe the problem today that all of us wrestle with, including the preacher, is pride. And I believe it's the root cause of a lot of what we have going on in our great nation is pride. Now, lest I be misunderstood, when I say pride, what am I talking about? I think you ought to be, you ought to take pride in how you look. It doesn't mean you have to wear a coat and tie all the time. I'm not saying that at all. But I think you ought to be groomed, clean, your fingernails done. I mean, you ought to look nice. God gave you this body. You ought to look nice. You ought to take pride in how you look. Now, that can go to the extreme, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Those of us who own a home, I think you ought to take pride in your home. It's God's gift to you for you to use for a period of time. I think your lawn ought to look nice. I think those little things out there growing, whatever they are, Susan knows all about that, they ought to grow. Unless I run over them with a lawnmower and then they've gone. <laughs> Way to get rid of them. I think you ought to take pride in your automobile. I think it ought to be washed. I think it ought to look nice. I don't think you ought to run around with four cakes of mud on it. All of those things are good things. We ought to take pride in, our, in those things. The pride I'm talking about is not like that. The pride I'm talking about is much, much deeper. It's pride that's in our heart that says we don't need God. We don't need any authority figure telling us what we ought to do because we are the king of our own domain. And you see how that can ease over from taking pride in good things to taking pride in all of our life and shaking us to where we don't need to be as a people. I've, I've wondered whether I use this illustration or not. I'm going to use it, but I could very well be misunderstood. But I've taken some chances before in my life, and I'm going to take one now. I was gone for two weeks. Susan and I accompanied our grandson to Cooperstown, New York. His team had a bid in uh, the games up there. It's a big deal for those who like baseball. So we go to Cooperstown, and it's, uh, I, I love organizations. I love to study organizations, and the way they do it is just amazing. The way they, the clockwork with which things are done. I love things to be done decently in order. I just, 104 teams in four days, they go to two. 104. 
They go to two for the championship. It's amazing. Well, our, our little team just did fine, and our grandson, of course, just did great. So we're sitting there, and I'm watching the game, and, and to tell you the truth, I had not really thought much about it. I just wanted him to not be hurt and wanted him to play well. He hit a home run. <clears throat> I said he hit a home run. Thank you very much. You know what I did? Now, if you think I'm bragging on Glenn, you have missed it. I didn't even realize I did. I stood straight up and I said, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That was not something I thought about doing. I don't even do that in public worship a lot. Now I do it some, but not a lot. My point is this. Please hear my point. My pride was not in what Jared did. My pride is what my God did through my grandson. He gave him that moment. And he gave grandmama and granddaddy a pretty good moment too. Thank you, Lord. You gave him the ability for those eyes to focus on that pitch. You gave him the ability to see that's a slider. That's not a fastball. That ball's going to move to my right. I'm going to have to adjust. God gave him the ability for those little arms to adjust, to wait, and then to move and to make impact and shift his weight and hit that ball over that fence. God did that. He didn't do it. God did it through him. When you and I think, boy, look what I did. I hit a home run. That's blaspheming. God gave him the ability to do that. Some of you are very successful people. Look what I've done with my life. You haven't done anything with your life. God has blessed you. God gave you the ability to earn money. God gave you the ability to give money. God gives you every breath you take is a gift of God. When you adjust your life back and take pride off the shelf, you can take pride in what God is doing through your life, but don't you take pride in what you think you're doing for God. This nation today seems to be thinking that we've got all the answers. And God has blessed us in ways that are unimaginable. Yet we go through times where it seems like we want to deny everything, including the fact of God. That's the problem. Pride, self-centeredness. We don't need anybody. We don't need anything. Seventeen times in the book of Proverbs, pride is mentioned. And in every case, it's negative. In my opinion, that's the problem. But what's the solution? If pride is the problem, what is the solution? Well, let's turn to the preamble for revival. We've been talking about the preamble of the United States, we the people. Let's turn to the preamble. Brother Lowell's already mentioned it. 
And we did this on purpose so you'd hear it twice, so you'd remember it. Amen. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. Remember how it begins? If my people. How does the preamble of the Constitution begin? We the people. Folks, listen to me. If we're going to change America, it's not going to happen in Washington or in Tallahassee. It's going to happen with you and with me. It's not going to be the state house, the courthouse. It's going to be the church house. When we take seriously the admonition if my people, we the people, stand up and take charge. That's what the founding fathers wanted us to do. That's why they've put together this republic, is for us to be involved. But as a moral and religious people, be involved. And if that happens... Guess what God says? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. You see, there's a people that God has. If we're not careful, we tend to think this. If all the bad people would just get straightened out, everything would be fine. If, if all those bad, bad, bad people out there, that's not what God says. God says there's always going to be bad people. That's why he went to the cross. It's for the bad people. That's me and you. <laughs> Not just them. And we're here for the bad people. But they're not going to straighten themselves out. In fact, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're lost and headed straight to hell. The problem is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in neutral, waiting for the bad people to get turned around. God says, if my people who are called by my name, my people, we the people, the Christians, the church. Why do you think on God's green earth we're going to spend millions of dollars to build a new campus? Why? Why don't we just sit here and continue to decline No, let's go where the people are. Let's go where there's a center, an energy, a synergy that will happen. Let's go out where the world is and make an impact on the world. Is it going to cost? Yes, it's going to cost. But when I look at Calvary, it cost God his whole son to save one little child. So don't tell me about the cost. The cost is incidental along the way to getting the job done. 
And I'm just telling you, God's going to supply. God never leads without supplying in order to meet the need. Never. The redeemed. Acts 15, verse 14, God is presently calling out a people for his name. If my people. There's a people that God has, but there's also a prayer that God hears. Notice what this says. Shall humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves? Hmm, hmm. Kind of sounds like pride is a problem, maybe. Yes, it is. Shall humble themselves. Now, there's two things that happen when we humble ourselves. Number one, there has to be the recognition that I have a problem. I've put the big eye on the throne. I have to take the big eye off the throne. First of all, I have to know that. Second of all, I have to do it. So first of all, there's a recognition of the, of the sin in my life, pride in my life. And then there has to be a yielding, a yielding, an action, following the recognition, an action to take me off the throne and put King Jesus on the throne. And let me just tell you, you can't do that by yourself. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit gives us understanding deeper than anything somebody can tell you. It speaks to your heart and then gives you the power and presence to do what you need to do. And apart from him, you won't be able to do it because self demands preeminence. There's a people that God has. There's a prayer that God hears. There's a pride that God hates. Shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. You see, not only do we humble ourselves, but there's a turning. There's a turning. And how do you turn? You noticed I skipped part of it. Pray and turn from their wicked ways. What's in between the two? Seek my face. You know what we're doing in America today? We're asking for God's hand. God, we want your hand. You do something. God, come down here and clean this mess up. We're not seeking God's hand. We're seeking God's face. And when we seek God's face... We're seeking to know him more intimately. Those of you who are in business and you're hiring people, have you ever been sitting across the desk from a prospective employee and he won't look you in the eyes? I've been around business and been around church and been around stuff. If a guy won't look me in the eyes when I'm talking to him, I just mark his name off. Doesn't mean he's not smart. Doesn't mean he doesn't work hard. Doesn't mean he's not even qualified. I just can't trust him. When you talk to me, I want to look in your eyes. I want you to look right here, right here. Because I want to see what's going on up here. And it shows up in the face. That's intimacy, that's understanding. And when we seek God's face, guess what? We seek to know him more intimately. 
And when you're looking at someone's face and you're talking to them, if they smile, <laughs> then what you said pleased them. If they frown, that displeased them. When we know God intimately, I believe he reflects on our heart and we can begin more fully to understand what pleases him and what disappoints him. When we seek his face, we're seeking to know him more deeply. Oh, there's God. Yeah, God up there somewhere doing something. But when I know him intimately, I seek his face because he already knows what's going on behind my face down in my heart. There's a people God has. There's a prayer God hears. There's a pride God hates. But what is the purpose for all of this? He says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15 says, Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. What that says is, all that I've said is conditional. Notice how 2 Chronicles 7.14 begins. If, if my people, the last part says then, if you do these things, then will I do this. If you do these things, then I will do this. You know where God is this morning? You say, well, he's in heaven. That's really not true. What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost whom you have of God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God where? Right here. There's a sense in which God the Father, yes, he's in heaven. There's a sense in which Jesus Christ is in heaven. Yes, oh, yes. But don't get the idea that God's away some million miles away. God's right here. He's inhabiting his church, and he's right here. And he is wanting to do in and through his church what he would do if he were here. And what is it that he wants to do? To heal our land. To heal our land. I've used this illustration before. I don't know if I've used it here, but I'm going to. America reminds me of a beautiful woman. Beautiful blonde hair, red, luscious lips, high cheekbones. <laughs> Just beautiful. And she's graceful. Every movement looks like it's planned. It's kind of like Susan. Slid that in there just. To... <laughs> and she speaks, it's like a musical instrument. Her voice is just melodious. The problem is she has cancer and she doesn't know it. And within her body, eating away at her life is a greedy malady that will eventually kill her. 
I fear. If she doesn't go to the doctor and get the report and get the remedy, she will die. That's America. Oh, we look so good on the outside. Have you seen the stock market lately? Woo! Have you seen all the new cars? Woo! All the construction? Woo! Oh! But there's something wrong. There's something desperately wrong in the core of our nation. A nation God has blessed in amazing ways. And unless we go to the doctor and get the cure, we'll die. You say, now, preacher, ah, oh, come on, preacher. Now you've gone too far. I've been with you up until now. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 19. The Bible says, and if you turn away, in other words, if you don't do what I've told you in verses 14 and 15, and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them in this house which I have sanctified for my name. Will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and look at the next line and a byword among the nations. You see, God's promises are yea and amen. When God says something, he says it, it's true. Both the positive side, if, then, but there's a negative side. If you don't, there are consequences of not following what God has said. And my fear is, my fear and I pray to God it's not true. But my fear is unless this nation has a spiritual revival, not a change of policy at the White House or the courthouse or the Congress, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if there's not a revival in our homes, in my individual life, in your life, in our church, in our denomination, in this country, will be a byword. And 150 years from now, should the Lord tarry, somebody will say, do you remember the United States of America? Yeah, I kind of remember that. Boy, there for a while they had it going. What a nation. Wow. Boy, they were the industrial engine for the world. They were the one who protected other nations. They were the ones who set the standard. You remember how they used to be? If you look at the great nations, the great civilizations, the empires that existed in the, on this planet, I... I fear that this nation will be a byword in history. When I read prophecy 
I don't see America standing up. I see America sitting out. Maybe I'm missing it. But my fear is unless we the people, if my people don't become the people of God, it's over. Now, on that happy note for the 4th of July, I hope you'll have a good 4th of July. You didn't call me to come here and be your interim pastor and make you feel good. You called me here to tell you the truth. And the truth is, we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek the Father's face and do only those things that please him and stop some of this other business. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have blessed this nation in ways that are just absolutely unbelievable. No nation on this planet has had the blessings this nation has had. We even take for granted some of the blessings. Just go to other countries and look around and listen. It's always good to visit some other place and see some other things, but every time I've done it, I want to hurry back home. Not just because of Susan and my children, my grandchildren. It's because of America. And Lord, while we have taken for granted the blessings, you have continued to bless us. And I praise you and I thank you for it. But Lord, help us to understand the perilous state we're in. If the Roman candles go off on the 4th and we all have barbecue and feel good, amen, that's a part of the celebration. But if you don't, if you are not in our heart, if we don't acknowledge who you are in this nation and the blessings that have come from you, we're going to develop pride and we're going to begin to think that we're too good to be damned. And the coming judgment will be very severe. So Lord, I pray that while we celebrate and we have a wonderful time with families and friends, that we also stop to thank you for the blessings and to make a new commitment of ourselves and to our posterity that we're going to make King Jesus sovereign in our life. And I pray this in Christ's name.